As far back as I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Hello and welcome to The Last Jedi on the Left podcast. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Aaron, and I am joined by returning guest, Joe. Hello. Thanks for having me back, Aaron. I think this is our uh, trilogy episode. Yeah, after have to sort you, out with the the, Jedi. sort you out with a hat-trick ball or something like that, maybe. <laughs> yeah, cheers. <laughs> um, so in this episode, we decided to go over, um, we, well, we've, we've, without vamping on the, uh, the vapors too much, we're turning Japanese. <laughs> we are indeed. <laughs> uh, this kind of came about as a conversation between the two of us a little bit in that um, I, I don't want to like pretend I'm some kind of expert on it because I'm definitely not, but it was that I kind of made an effort to go out and watch quite a few different sort of Japanese films that had caught my eye. And you sort of mentioned that, you know, they always kind of interest you, but you, you weren't really too sure where to start or yeah, obviously yeah. you'd got like a, a surface level, you know, you knew, knew of some things, but there was some other stuff that you were, and again, I, I don't want to act like, I'm the authority on the subject because I'm sure there'll be people listening to this will be like, he hasn't got a clue. I think you're selling yourself too short there, mate. Um, yeah, because this has always been a bit of a blank spot for me in my uh, film going um, history, I guess. Uh, and I know that yours has covered like, well, we'll get into it, won't we? But with Japan, there's a various different, well, lots and lots of different sort of subgenres, And uh, I think you've sort of studied quite a few of them now over time so uh yeah i'm uh i'm the uh, apprentice today i think <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh, that's fair i suppose um like that's it so we, we we did kind of say like you know there are the uh different subgenres as such in the in japanese cinema so we kind of sat down and i said right well we'll we'll go through um i sort of broke it down a little bit and i said like there's there's the big sort of genres that we've got so I broke it down into sort of four specific ones, and then there was one that kind of just covered other films as a little, a little bit. Um, so the the genres that I picked out were uh, there's anime films, which for anybody who doesn't know, that's Japanese animated films, basically. Yep. You've got um, the, what well, I believe, uh, and now I'm going to get into pronunci- pronunciations as well, so I'm definitely going to get some of these wrong. But uh, we've got the... Tokusatu films, which are basically like uh, special effects heavy films. And in particular there, we were looking at the kaiju films, which are big monsters, effectively. Yep. Um, there is also uh, the Jidaigeki, I believe it's pronounced, which again, that, that sort of means um, period films. So, and then particularly within that, we were looking at the Samurai films, which are also known as Chanbara. Yeah. I think I'm doing okay so far. Yeah, now you're smashing it out of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> um, then uh, the sort of final proper uh, genre that we picked up on was Yakuza films, which is their sort of uh, gangster films, effectively, because the Yakuza is the Japanese mob. Yeah. And and then also, like I say, we had the the other films as well. So, um, yeah, I kind of... I kind of picked out a list of about 30 films in there, I think, and yeah. sort of said, pick one from each one and we'll, we'll kind of, we'll go through them and, and that can be our like introduction effectively into, into Japanese cinema. Yeah. So um, I guess we'll, we'll kick off with the, uh, with the one that we, we mentioned first, an anime. 
Because cool. I feel like, at least going into it as well, this was probably the one that you'd got the most background on a little bit. Yeah, probably. I think uh, that's one of the things I was going to say off the back of what you were explaining in, in terms of when you were knocking out like the 30 films as well. It's like a lot of these sort of, they're like franchises before, you know, the franchises that we recognize today. But a lot of them have got, so many subsequent films kind of thing and you go down this path and i think anime was always a bit more straightforward because they tend to be sort of the one-offs we'll get on to like others like godzilla etc you know you know you can go down a path of like 30 odd films or whatever whereas the anime stuff is all pretty self-contained so those are the ones i probably had seen a bit more of yeah in the past but at not least this one <laughs> yeah at least it does for when regards to the uh anime films generally anyway yeah anime yeah, guess, when it comes yeah. to tv has got a sort of yeah i've tried a few you know, of them four or uh, five hundred episode series runs and stuff like that so yeah because you've you've sort of pointed a few of those out to me as well like cowboy bebop is that right? yeah so um, that's not too bad that's about you know 20 30 episodes of yeah. one season but if you get into like your dragon balls or your oh, um, God, yeah, yeah. uh one piece for example which have just been running for decades and they're yeah. still kind of churning them out now so but yeah we're not talking about them anyway (laughs) (laughs) they're they're a pod of their own right aren't they didn't didn't set you watching all of dragon ball as a homework so thank you very much (laughs) yeah Um, so the the film we picked out of between the two of us was uh, akira yep which is one you've not seen before yeah um yeah there's quite a miss on my part really because i think even people who even just like sort of gently touch on this subject of generally seeing Akira. It's probably the number one for a lot of people. Yeah, I would, I mean, it's it's definitely up there, I think, as one of those that, like, people tend to have seen. Um, yeah. So for people who don't know, it's the, um, so a lot of the anime as well, in particular, tends to start out life as a, what's called a manga, mm-hmm. uh, which is Japanese comic books, effectively. Um, this is the same thing, and then it got, gets adapted into a film from there. So it's a Katsuhiro Otomo's, uh, I think, I think he also was the person who wrote the manga. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure so, on yeah. that one, but yeah, yeah that yeah. sounds about right. Um, but that's, it's his story of um, sort of secret military experimentation and huge bombs. And so it's not impossible to see where the influence on this came mm. from. But uh, it's also a theme, I think. Very, very much yeah. so, yeah, definitely. Amongst all of the, probably a lot of the films that we'll talk about. But uh, but yeah, and sort of, but then it's also in this sort of neo-futuristic type setting. What was your what was your impression anyway on watching I thought this? it was fantastic, yeah. I thought, um, I, I'm, one of the reasons I've probably not followed anime so much is because I can only take so much of them. Like when you were discussing then like, the shows, for example, that run on and on and on. And, you know, I've tried Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is probably fairly inspired by this, I would say, looking at the two of them. Um, So I've never really kind of dipped too much into this genre, but I appreciate that there's definitely those odd few, and I have seen a few of them. um, And actually, ironically, most of them were made in 1988. um, That just like perfect self-contained stories in their own right. And, you know, the fact that they're beautifully animated and, you know, very unique to their sort of stylings is, you know, by the by anyway, just as a a piece of filmmaking, as a 
piece of storytelling. I think they're just absolutely fascinating. Um, I think watching Akira, it's hard sometimes to watch an animation from my perspective and not sort of think of it as a live action as well. And yeah. this is the sort of film where you're like, God, imagine if they did, if they actually pulled this off, you know. But that shouldn't take away from, you know, what it is as, it, as its own right. And it, I thought it was a wonderful um, film uh, and a story. I thought it was fascinating. Um, yeah, absolutely brilliant film. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. I agree with you on, on terms of, I sort of know what you mean when it comes to not, you know, you can only sort of handle so much of it because mm. it is very, there's sort of a lot of um, elements and tropes to anime in particular that, that I guess people who are into it or people who watch it a lot just kind of tolerate more than anything else. It yeah. can be a little bit out there. And it's funny that you mentioned um, Neon Genesis as well as one of the ones that you've kind of tried before because that very much wants to mess around with those sort of tropes and stuff like that. So that trying to watch that if you're not entirely familiar with everything is jumping in at the deep end, I think. Yeah, it's bit. like picking up a sport that I'm not fully invested in, like the American sports, for example, to use a touch point between the two of us. You're obviously quite invested in those. Yeah. I, I turn my hand to it sometimes and, you know, if, if you get the right match, you know, it's great. You're on fire. It doesn't matter yeah. how much you know or you understand. And that's what this is. It's like one of those great one-offs. It doesn't really matter how invested you are in the actual sort of subgenre itself. Um, when I've tried, because the thing is, you watch a film like Akira and you feel inspired to then go and follow that trail and start watching more and more of it. And I'm sure I'll run out of steam, as I always do. But Akira is one of those films that, like, you watch it and you go, yeah, you know, there's no doubt in the quality and the brilliance that's contained within that standalone piece of art so yeah i thought it was a brilliant film a very sort of interesting there's lots of um within the screenplay and the story itself there's lots of very interesting ideas going on as well um but it doesn't get lost in the kind of a lot of these big idea films they sometimes lose character but this is very character focused as well um you know you've got the character of um tetsuo who's a very interesting sort of character. Kanada, the sort of kind of hero of the piece, but he's not really very heroic to begin yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. Um, lots of those sort of ideas, I think, are really interesting, especially taking into, when you take into account that it's this anime, which, you know, it's maybe my prejudice against animation and stuff, but you sometimes think, you know, it's all for kids, and that's certainly not the case, but you kind of think sometimes, oh, you know, it's going to be a bit more straightforward, a bit, little less sort of exploratory of, you know, bigger issues and, you know, big sort of storylines, but this is very adult sort of oriented, and, and if you're like me and you've not really taken a dive into that sort of world before, uh, there's definitely a lot about Akira that's um, unique and I think it will appeal to a wider audience than just the niche market that, you know, know and love it so well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I, like you say, it is one of them that has got these um, these kind of really out there ideas, I think, for a large part, like you mentioned, but then kind of never really loses its focus, particularly between those two main characters that we've got. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, and I think I think it's actually a really good kind of interesting way to get into watch like into watching more anime as such because and I know we'll kind of move on to this now with like the other films I kind of mentioned in there as well, um, which are 
there was a two or three like Studio Ghibli films, which obviously mm-hmm. you kind of touched on before with when you mentioned about 1988. Obviously, this is yeah. the same year as My Neighbor Totoro. And also, technically, I don't think it is a Ghibli film, but uh, Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah. Two completely opposite end of the spectrum films, I guess. Definitely, but, yeah. But yeah, but both both anime and like. But if you were going to go into the Ghibli films, I find that a lot more of them are kind of almost Western friendly, effectively. Yeah, Ghibli's like their Disney, isn't it? So it's yeah. kind of trying to appeal to this sort of universal appeal. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. So they've got that kind of element going, which I feel like you can watch that and. You know, even if you're not particularly well versed with any sort of uh, any any anime or anything like that, you you would be fine. You know, that would be okay. Mm. Whereas Akira kind of introduces that element a little bit more of like these are the themes that we can kind of play with a little bit more. Definitely, yeah. Which then, like you say, get built on with with other films as such. So uh, one of the other ones I'd mentioned in there was uh, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, from yeah. 1995, which again is is like another step further along in in the sort of anime timeline if you will i'll have to revisit ghost in the shell because that is one that i'd tried in the past um and just at the at the time i guess it didn't appeal to me um but i think with a bit more context i hadn't watched any of the ghibli films or anything i think ghost uh, ghost in the shell was like the first one i ever yeah sat down gave a go and it just wasn't really working for me and i ironically quite like the live action version of that which i know is like sacrilege to a lot of the fans of the the original um but yeah it's it's different taste go on <laughs> yeah it's uh, i think the live action one was fine it was okay yeah. um but it's just not the original effectively the yeah. same way that i guess a lot of these things do that but um yeah yeah. It's but funny how you come to the context of them, though, because I remember watching Ghost in the Shell, the live action one, and thinking, oh, this is really cool what Scarlett Johansson's doing at the moment. Because she'd got the, like this run of her and um, Lucy and oh, Ghost, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. Ghost in the Shell. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, she's like, you know, so I was seeing it from that sort of context. And there were, there were always things in it I wasn't too keen on, but I wasn't probably looking at it from a story perspective or how it was sort of treating the original source material. And I think that's what a lot of people were like, yeah, that, that's fine, but it's not. Exactly, and I'll probably feel yeah. like that when um, Taika, when he... is he still doing Akira? I think so, maybe. Yeah, I can't know, remember who's attached to it now. It's been batting around quite a lot. Mm. I think Hollywood's gone a bit quiet on it recently. I think Jordan Peele was involved at some point as well. Oh, really? That could be, be interesting. interesting. But yeah. I think if you get somebody who knows what they're doing, like one of these sort of big time... Um, set piece directors I mean obviously it owes a lot to Blade Runner in its aesthetic so you you'd immediately think of Ridley Scott but I don't know if Ridley would turn to it maybe that's a bit too obvious you'd think of Villeneuve who did Blade Runner 2049 he'd probably lap it up he'd probably love to do something on that scale but yeah I think just to bring it back to Akira and you know in comparison to some of those other films and I really love some of the Ghibli stuff I mean I think my neighbor Totoro is one of the the very finest films and it's such a universal thing you could watch it it was three years old or 103 years old but it is very sort of very straightforward and it's got universal themes as as i keep saying and it you know it resonates very strongly and it's a masterwork in its own right but a lot of the ghibli stuff is this fantasy and it's very sort of mid-level and it's very effective but akira seems like it's a bit more there's a bit more weight to it, I think. 
Um, definitely built for an older audience, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I thought it was brilliant. Um, so yeah, I, I, the only other other films I wanted to sort of touch on a little bit here. Um, we've got a couple of other Ghibli films I was going to bring up, which are uh, Spirited Away, which is sort of generally like, people generally regard it as like the the high point for the Ghibli. I think it was the one that won the like foreign language Oscar and stuff. So it was at least the most mm. recognised it got over here or yeah. west in the Western world as such. Um, and then my favourite of the ones I've seen, at least anyway, is uh, Princess Mononoke. Okay. I find that that's one that has got that uh, sort of childlike element to it at times, but it also, in the same way Akira does in a way, kind of brings in sort of more adult themes and more sort of get you thinking about things a little bit more, I guess, in a way, which it feels like it's probably something that would bridge the gap between you sort of spirited away type film or Totoro hmm. and Akira and would, would kind of bridge that gap between those two quite well, I think. I'll have to seek that one out because the Mononoke, is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. Yes. Uh, that one I've not made it to. I did watch Spirited Away. Um, it didn't affect me in the same way as Totoro when I first watched that, but I think then everything was in sort of the shadow of Totoro because I just thought that was such a wonderful film. Yeah. kind of like watching snow white and the seven dwarfs for the first time and then you keep watching dumbo and bambi and they're all brilliant but it's like oh that first one you watch whichever one it is the first one you come to it's kind of like yeah so um i've no doubt i'm missing something personally with spirit away because everyone tells me it's a masterpiece so i'll have to check that out as well on an okay um and then the only the i guess the last sort of couple i was going to mention um there's one that's kind of it was quite big probably five years ago or so now uh, called your name yeah uh, which has come from a director called makoto shinkai who he has this i don't know particularly how he does it or what's involved but his films have this very stylized look and they are absolutely incredible to look at okay. um i've seen a couple of his other films and uh, I wasn't quite as hot on them, but I think this one's got quite an interesting storyline as well um, that sort of kind of worked as well for me. So that's another one I would probably recommend. Um, and then the last one, if you, you really kind of, you've watched all the rest now and you're looking for something else that's a little bit kind of different, shall we say, it yeah. is a film called uh, Night is Short, Walk on Girl. Okay, which is never heard of this one. Yeah, no, it was, I think it was on, uh, it was, on, it was on Netflix anyway, over here for a little while. I don't think it is anymore, but, uh, it's basically just about this girl who is walking home alone at night and this guy kind of, kind of fancies her a little bit. Um, okay. and it's just incredibly weird and wonderful basically. And it's full of weird characters and, everything that you probably think like if you closed your eyes and up to this point and thought of like anime this was probably full of that kind of thing yeah so it's not the easiest one to jump straight into but yeah. once you've kind of got your head around it a little bit more i thought it was just really really fun to watch and enjoyable no definitely um personally i know you're appealing to others as well to check these out but yeah from, <laughs> yeah. from my perspective yeah I'll, I'll definitely check them out i like the sound of your name as well the, the idea that the animation's a bit original because i think that's another thing sometimes for someone who's a bit of an outsider they all sort of look a bit samey sometimes especially you know you go to the classics of the 80s and the 90s the 
style of animation was a very particular type. You can see it developing over time, I think. But um, yeah, generally it's sort of the same sort of animation style. Yes, um, yeah, they're, they I'm all sure, have got a very similar look, don't they? I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the experts or, you know, regular watchers can pick out the differences, but to an untrained eye like me. So that's interesting about your name, and I'll, I'll definitely check out that other one because that sounds kind of creepy to me at the moment. But uh, you say it's weird and wonderful, so... <laughs> I, I want to say it's not creepy, but it is a little bit creepy yeah, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, I understand it's part that, of the though, charm. I think. Yeah, I think Japanese cinema, not to just like sort of stereotype the whole lot, but there is sometimes a bit of that, isn't there? Of like, because it's a cultural difference, it kind of trying to attune to it sometimes is a little bit like, oh, that's a bit weird. Yeah. But yeah. But you can, and it, you, you do get that quite a bit with anime, I find as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I say, it is that cultural difference, I, I put it down to at least. So definitely. Get yeah. some, take some getting used to, I think. Which is no, why I didn't, um, didn't say to watch that one first. No, no, yeah, yeah. Probably don't dive right in at the deep end. But uh, yeah, no, I'll definitely keep pursuing with them because uh, what I've watched so far, it's like a hit rate of about 70 or 80%. So it's pretty good so far. Going well so far. Wait, wait yeah, till you yeah. work, work your way into the deep cuts, then it'll probably dip a little. But... I've got a question, actually. Go um, don't know if you can answer this, but is there any other cyberpunk ones that you or not necessarily even anime but of this sort of world where you you know japanese or even asian cinema is there any that you've come across um i mean i guess the one that kind of does jump out straight away is is ghost in the shell yeah that's very cyberpunk yeah um and kind of what oh this this is going to be about 10 that will come to me as soon as we yeah finish this i'll put you right on the spot there sorry (laughs) But, yeah, because um, that's another subgenre that I'm pretty interested in as well. Uh, you know, I try and watch what I can of cyberpunk, but again, it's such a vast sort of genre. And again, I think Akira's like one of the major highlights of it, along with things like the Terminator and Blade Runner, etc. But yeah, it's an interesting little genre that, and it feels like it gets more relevant with every passing year with AI and everything well, like that. But yeah, that's certainly true as well. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. You know, you've got like. I guess you could include things like um, Tetsuo the Iron Man, I guess. Mm. Which is kind of... Oh, yeah, definitely the uh, Shinya Tsukamoto. Uh, yeah. Yeah, all his stuff. I've watched quite a bit of his stuff. Um, that's one area of Japanese cinema I've seen quite a bit of. Uh, yeah, that that's fascinating stuff, the uh, the body hammer stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I guess you could include, like, Cowboy Bebop is kind of cyberpunk in a way. Okay. Um, but that's, I think there is a film of that, but it's the series is kind of where, where I've gone with it. Yeah, I definitely will check that out. Cowboy Bebop, I've heard a lot of people recommend that one. Yeah, so that kind of rounds off the anime chat. Um, we can move on to the, the, the next one I've got in the list, which I got next up, I've got, um, Yakuza films. Okie doke. So um, this was one kind of feels like it's one that kind of has a moment, particularly um, that it was big in the 70s and it kind of gets revived again in the sort of more recent films, more recent years. Um, So kind of a lot of that comes originally it, it has a moment 
and I, I kind of touch on this a little bit on the on the short episode I did with the about the big time gambling boss. Yeah. Which was one of the ones that I've seen recently. Um it has a moment sort of in the sort of late fifties and sixties with uh what's called the um Ninkyo films or Ninkyo Ega, uh, which are like the chivalry films and they're sort of more about like standing up for honor and things like that. And then the um in this sort of mid to late seventies, almost like kind of like you did with Hollywood and transitioning into new Hollywood. They transition into the Jitsuroega or Jitsurokuega, I think it is. Um, which are like actual record films, I believe is the name of them. Um, the sort of preeminent sort of introduction, these were obviously a bit more gritty, a bit more realistic, and the sort of introduction of those films came with the one that we've aptly picked out between the two of us, which was uh, Kinji Fukusaku's Battles Without Honor and Humanity, also Indeed. known as the, the Yakuza Papers. Yes. Um, so, so this one is a... It's kind of... He wants to do this kind of gritty examination of post-war Japan as people have... Uh, struggling to find something to do with their lives and obviously there's always crime effectively it's the it's the sort of story behind it um you watched this one this is probably the most recent one for you wasn't it so yep what was your opinion oh this is a mad film this is um yeah i really like it um i i kind of loved it in the end uh it's one hell of a film to sort of tune your ear to though uh just like tonally stylistically it is very in your face from the off um as you say it's like based in hiroshima as well isn't it sort of post-war hiroshima so yeah kind of get an idea for you know where they're going with it and um the sort of desolate sort of period in japanese history and it's all it's almost like a kind of post-apocalyptic kind of thing at the start a little bit like you know, the way the film opens and, you know, you've got that attack on the, the woman by the American GIs and you're like, okay, I get where they're going with this. Um, but it, what it is, you know, there's no sort of issues with any of the, um, you know, subject matter or anything that it's touching on. It's really bold and really brave in, in so, some of those respects. But like stylistically, it's really kind of, you know, fast editing, fast cutting. Uh, it introduces all the characters in sort of title cards, which, you know, neither of us speak Japanese or read Japanese. It's like even trying to keep up with them sometimes. It's like, whoa, this is fast. Um, but then what happens is you stick with it because, as you say, this was the most recent one I watched. And I've tried to watch this film before and it just like, I can't keep up with this. And just I gave up on it. Um, but if you do stick with it, it does sort of like slow down into a bit more of a, moderate pace i wouldn't say that it's still sort of a you know sort of typical pace or anything like that it's still pretty frenetic it feels like a three-hour epic boiled down into like 90 minutes 96 minutes or whatever it is um it's got like a real like grand scope of like a godfather kind of crime epic um you know there's there's periods where the hero's in prison comes out of prison joins one family sort of you know, there's trouble and strife in that family. That family's at feud with another family. There's offshoots of other members of the family falling out with each other. And then, yeah, it's 
everything you've come to expect from post Godfather, but done in a very, very unique style. Um, and yeah, I really came to admire it once I caught up with it and I was like, no, just kind of attune your ear to it. It's like listening to, you know, a new style of music or whatever. And you're like, Oh, I don't know about this. It just, I'm not, it's not used to when I stick on the headphones and listen to a piece of music, this is not what I know music to be or whatever. It's kind of like that with watching the film and experiencing the film for the first time, but you do get, you know, down to a level with it and start, you know, sort of, it sort of plateaus in the middle and you sort of like at a level with it then. And then it just becomes this fascinating sort of crime opera. Um, and yeah, and very, very unique, just directorial style. I would say, I was going to say visual style, but I think it's like an all out assault of all your senses. I mean, God knows what it would have been like to watch in 1973 when it first came out. I mean, yeah. Um, and you'll probably get onto it, you know, like the influence on Tarantino, that kind of thing. You can definitely see all of that. It's very pulpy kind of filmmaking. And, you know, it's definitely the sort of stuff that Quentin Tarantino would have watched as a kid and just blown him away. And he sort of stored that in the memory banks forever and gone, you know, this is what I'm going to do in Reservoir Dogs. You know, I saw Fukasaka do it in... Uh, 1973, you know, can be done kind of thing. And our Western eyes kind of watched it and went, you know, this guy's a genius. And it's like, now nah, there's guys doing this in the 20 years ago. But uh, yeah, fascinating, Phil. Fascinating. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's funny that you, you picked up on a couple of points there that, that I kind of picked up on a lot as well and, and turns out. Because apparently this is sort of referred to as like the Japanese Godfather. Mm. which like you can tell it's got that peaks and troughs of, of character arc and, and the sort of yeah. morally gray areas to it and everything like that. But, but it is entirely boiled down to like half the length, like you mentioned. So yeah. it does make it this kind of blistering sort of pace to it and, and zips through, especially like say right at the start when you've got that, that just cavalcade of just name after name, that's just up on the screen. And you're like, I hope yeah. I'm not supposed to remember all of these, but you do, you do settle into it and it, it does take a little bit of getting used to, but you do get there with it. Yeah. I think that's it. I think I was just intimidated by it. I was like, oh, I'm never going to keep up with this. Cause you kind of think like the Godfather and you think about trying to absorb Sonny and Fredo and Michael and you know, everybody else, Tom and but all within like, the opening two minutes, you know, like yeah, that's couple is over here doing a wedding sequence for 30 minutes to introduce you to all the characters. Fukasaki, sorry if I'm butchering his name. Is it Fukasaki? Fukasaku. Fukasaku. He's doing that in like two minutes. He's like, yeah, here's your Godfather wedding sequence that takes a couple of 30 minutes. Here's me doing it in like two minutes where yeah. you get, you know, rape, murder, violence, you know, everything within the first sort of two minutes. And you're like, whoa, okay. Like you say, yeah. and, then, and then it feels like it's it's just slowing down to the point where someone gets a finger cut off. And, <laughs> you know, you, you, then you can kind of, like you say, you draw those lines between Tarantino, between Reservoir Dogs, and, you know, things like that. Yeah, there. 100%, yeah. Um, I mean, even, even for like, if you do consider it like influenced by the Godfather in a way, I would say it's taken its influence specifically from um, Sonny, Sonny's death sequence. Yeah. Which is the one moment in The Godfather, which is like sort of pulpy and really out there. And there's like, you know, 80 bullets or whatever it is. And it's just violence and blood let in and everything. It's kind of that register, but for the full 90 odd minutes with an interesting crime epic story in the middle of it. So yeah, once you get past that kind of initial 
wow, this is, you know, quite a lot to sort of adjust to. It, it really is beneath the surface a fascinating film. And uh, it, it particularly goes as well to say that, so this is effectively the first film in a series of, depending on who you ask, five or eight, eight yeah. films, because he goes on to make four sequels effectively in the next like 18 months after this film comes out. That's some work ethic. That which is, is <laughs> incredible really when you think about it. And then mm. after that goes on to make three more films year on year after that as well. So yeah. to say that he gets eight films out in about four years or something and uh, in amongst other films as well. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Very impressive stuff. So, so yeah, like you say, he, he's got this, this kind of, incredible kind of hit rate of just churning out these films, which was kind of, uh, was kind of like the done thing as well at this time, I think, mm. particularly in the seventies in Japanese cinema. Um, it's interesting as well that we, we, you kind of mentioned about the weird, almost post post apocalyptic style that it has. Cause one of the other films that I picked up on, uh, was a film called drunken angel, which I think you have seen. The Kurosawa one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's about a doctor who is basically also a drunk kind of thing because he's kind of lost his purpose post-World War II. And he's, I think he's in... uh, I was thinking of Stray Dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're both quite similar, yeah. yeah, yeah, But but yeah, and he, but I think he's also in like Hiroshima or Nagasaki maybe. And he's kind of like, kids playing around in things that they're like, you shouldn't be playing around in that. It's probably radioactive and stuff like that. It has got this almost kind of like end of the world quality to yeah. it at the start, particularly in the same yeah. way that this one does. I was thinking Mad Max, as daft as it sounds, kind of that sort of feel to the, certainly the opening sort of, you know, the probably Mad Max 2, I guess, you know, the, the sort of bit where, I guess, where Mad Max opens. It's a lot more sort of, patient build-up yeah 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 but um i think anything's patient compared to the (laughs) build-up of this film to be fair definitely but yeah it's definitely got that sort of it's not out and out anything post-apocalyptic it barely even mentions hiroshima does it it says like post-war and then it takes us into like the korean war as well yeah and it's kind of this perpetual state of the world around these guys is absolutely fucked for want of a better word um, and that's sort of drawn into their sort of, um, I guess, their psychology as well as, as human beings. So it's, yeah, a lot of these films, again, it's like the product of their environment and, you know, Japan as it was, at, at, you know, still reeling from the, that period in, in history. That's it, yeah. And this was kind of the first one to do that as well a little bit. Like like I mentioned before, how it was the the first of the the actual record films as such as they call them because it was the first one to say like look this is how things were at least if not still are in in a lot of ways um so yeah it was uh and it didn't just sort of portray them as like tragic heroes in a way that there was a lot more morally gray and and that kind of thing in there not that you know i think that there are some of the older um the older films as well are, are can be quite good. Like I say, I really like Big Time Gambling Boss, which is, I think that's almost like a lesser seen one. That um, is that before this, then? Um, believe so. Is it right? Let me just double check. Because I was thinking while you're checking that, 
I don't know, does Seijun Suzuki fall into this bracket, like branded to kill and things like that? I can never recall. Is it branded to kill I watched, or is it the one he did before? I know he's always kind of a, a sort of early proponent of like the Yakuza film. Uh, what was it? Tokyo Drifter, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, those so- are kind of like the 60s ones. And, and from what I can recall from them, those are kind of like very 60s stylized kind of things. They're nothing like what um, Fukusaki is doing. Um, sorry if I butchered it again. Um, is doing by 1973. It's like this is like a complete new world kind of view on, on the Yakuza film. I think that's it, yeah, because uh, Big Time Gambler Boss was 68 as well. So. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that would have been around that Suzuki kind of period. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Um, so again, I feel like that was quite a, quite a successful introduction there. Yeah, I should say I'm definitely going to check out the, um, the other four at the very least, because yeah, you've got the battles of humanity, battles without hum- honor and humanity. That's it? it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you got the five of those, haven't you? And then it's the three new battles. So yeah. I'll definitely check out the five and then I'll probably need a break. <laughs> Makes sense, yeah. At least, yeah. at least for the most part, they're like ninety minutes long. Oh, definitely, yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, it's that assault of the senses, isn't it? Very I might much, just do yeah. one weekend and just watch all the five of them. Um, so another one I'd kind of uh, we kind of picked out. Obviously, I mentioned Drunken Angel before. Uh, Akira Kurosawa comes back to it again with High and Low a bit later on, which I think is one of his best films. Kind of about uh, it's kind of a uh, blackmail sort of uh, um, kidnapping plot that, that goes wrong effectively. Um, one to definitely check out for people who haven't seen that one. Yeah, I haven't seen kind that of. One. It's a little bit more yakuza adjacent because it's about the crime family. You know, crime family has uh, kidnapped and stuff, but it, it's more about the the dealing with it and the people involved from there. Right. So uh, other ones that I'd got sort of I'd kind of singled out were that the um, sort of late mid to late nineties revival as such, which comes off the back of uh, Takeshi Kitano or yep. Beat, Beat Takeshi, as he's also known. He does films like Fireworks and Sonatine. Um, we will definitely come back to both Takeshi and Fukusaku a bit later on. They join up. Joe's trying to think now where that comes in, but he'll remember. He'll remember later on. Um, mm. And the only other, the only other uh, Yakuza one I kind of singled out was a film called Itchy the Killer. Obviously, it's yeah. kind of all about uh, very violent again. It kind of steps it up because this is the first time we'll mention Takashi Miike. Again, who is a director who we'll, we'll get around to in a bit. But he is a yeah. <laughs> very interesting director anyway. He is indeed. <laughs> Um, so this kind of brings us on to we, we've got the, the other two uh, two genres left. So we've got the uh, samurai films or the chambara. Uh, these are probably ones that I guess if like people think of Japanese films, this is probably what they will think of for the most part. Yeah, um, Kurosawa, <laughs> particularly Kurosawa, because like uh, about half of the ones I think I singled out were were all Kurosawa films, um, and the one that we. We kind of settled on was Yujimbo. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a recent first time watch for you. Yeah, but, yeah. Never but again, you get round to it before. 
kind of know the story anyway, don't you? I do, because it's basically one of my other favourite films. But yeah, we'll get on to that. <laughs> yeah, so um, this one is, it's the story of uh, of a sort of lone drifter, a lone samurai, played, of course, by Toshiro Mifune. Anyone um, listening, play the game while Aaron reads the plot, see if you can recognise another film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <it> sounds like. <laughs> okay, yeah, so I'll, I'll give you the, the, the plot from, uh, from Letterboxd is... A nameless ronin, or samurai with no master, enters a small village in feudal Japan where two rival businessmen are struggling for control of the local gambling trade. Taking the name Sanjuro, the ronin convinces both the silk merchant and the sake merchant to hire him as a personal bodyguard and then sets in motion a full-scale gang war between the two ambitious but unscrupulous men. See, if I could whistle now, I'd do like the Morricone. <laughs> yeah. 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 So... Giving that one away for anyone guessing that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but um, so yeah, I, I guess for me, um, there's obviously various different um, different samurai films we could have picked out, particularly by uh, by Kurosawa, um, mm-hmm. and again, most of them are going to be starring Toshiro Mifune because the two of them were on an incredible hot streak together throughout sort of the 50s and 60s. But this one, I feel like, is, again, possibly one of the most uh, accessible ones. Yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. Um, If for nothing else, like you say, you kind of... The the story's pretty straightforward. It's, uh, what, 90, 100 minutes maybe long? It's it's less than two hours either way, which is not necessarily a given when you look at films like Seven Samurai, which is pushing on for four nearly um but yeah yeah what was what was your yeah yeah i think that's the thing with uh, kurosawa especially in my mind i always think of like every one of his samurai films or chambara films is a sort of three and a half hour epic i mean i surprised to realize ran was only two and a half hours i always thought that was like a four hour you know sort of uh, undertaking as well but um yeah yojimbo is definitely I said at the time of watching it, I think it's probably his most iconic film um, just because of all the boiled down sort of simplicity, the brilliant simplicity of it in a way. You know, it's not going to be his finest film. It's not the one that's going to, he's going to be remembered for. That's going to be Seven Samurai or Rashomon for the, you know, unique way, groundbreaking way in which that story is told or the epic kind of scale of Seven Samurai and, you know, the way it basically sort of, reinvented action cinema of the time yeah. Yojimbo is him as a master by this point uh and he's kind of just doing it in his sleep but it still streets ahead of what most directors are capable of you know um and I think we, with its influence you know we didn't actually mention the film that rip, you know literally rips it all off but um Fistful of Dollars Sergio Leone he just lifts 90% of this film uh, brings his own style to it and the reason it works is because it can work because it's such a simple straightforward excellent story um and yojimbo is every bit as good as that film uh i think it's got one of mifune's you know best performances um that kind of because he's always kind of a because he's so um charismatic as a as a presence in the films you know because if you watch the early kurosawa films he, he makes about three or four before Mifune comes along. Yeah. 
and I think it's Drunken Angel. It might be the film before that. I think it is, yeah. That's the first one he comes into, isn't it? And as soon as he's there, it's like, yeah, that's that's James Dean. That's Marlon Brando. That's a superstar. And, uh, you know, he often plays on that and he's often very big in his performance as well. Rashomon's another example. Yeah. You know, fantastic, fantastic film, fantastic performances, but they're all very big. They're very Al Pacino kind of, you know, if you think about it, that sort of influence. Um, you know, obviously, Mifune's influence on Pacino rather than the other way yeah, around, of yeah, course. Yeah. Um, but here he's kind of, you know, leading to the Clint Eastwood, you know, sort of almost anti-performance at times, just sort of sits there, takes it all in. But because we're so attuned to it by this point, we know that this guy, as soon as he wanders into town, he's here to, you know, you know, anybody who steps in his way is going to regret it kind of thing. And it's an age-old sort of story, but it's established with films like Yojimbo. And they just get it so right. You know, we're still riffing on it today. You know, when people will, you know, if you think of like Drive, with um, Ryan Gosling, yeah, know, that silent kind of, you know, and I know he's drawing on Clint and people like that, but they're all drawing from Mifune in, in Yojimbo as well. So, yeah, I thought my big takeaway from it was it wasn't my favourite. It's still, uh, you know, a pretty near masterpiece, you know, and I'm prob- on repeat viewings, I probably think it's right up there, but um, it took me a little while, again, to sort of get into it, but then there's a roundabout the sort of, Closing of the first act, when Mifune's uh, Sanjuro has started to inveigle his way into the one family, and he overhears the wife sort of saying, "We can screw him over after he's helped us to save us paying him," and then he sort of just makes this decision in his own head that you know he's going to be this man on his own quest, and he's not going to you know sort of abide by any rules in this already lawless town and he just sits the top of this tower and just watches it unfold and you're like yeah this is now we're talking you know so it takes a little while to get there and then the brother with the gun yeah comes in you know and he's a very famous actor because he's in like harakiri and all that isn't he? yeah i was gonna say he's like the uh almost like the the second most famous from this kind Definitely, of period because yeah. he's of... human condition guy as well isn't he That's yeah it's uh, tatsuya nakadai I believe yeah. is how you pronounce it. So he's in like Quaidan and, and Human Condition. Yeah. And this is the one where they kind of come face to face now. Yeah. Particularly yeah. between uh, sort of Harakiri and uh, and Quaidan. They're, they're obviously Kobayashi. So it always kind of felt yeah. like he was Kobayashi's guy and to, yeah. to Mifune being Kurosawa's guy. But they're it's both clever move, like really. absolute kind of titans or whatever. And this is kind of yeah. the one, like you say, where they, they kind of come together a it's little the bit. the heat moment in the, yeah, the Pacino. Yeah, it is very much. In. I yeah. think that's bizarrely kind of accurate in a way because everything you've just said, like like Mifune is a big personality. He's always exploded onto the screen, particularly, like you say, in in, in Rashomon. He does it in a, a kind of a more subtle way in Seven Samurai because he's still yeah. the biggest outlandish kind of of the seven. Yeah. Um, and he kind of does it again here, but he does it quietly again. And you kind of, you know that he's going to do it at some point. Yeah. But yeah. Much in the same way, like Pacino was doing that by this point in his career in 1995 in his career. And then, and Nakadai's always kind of uh, been the sort of a little bit more understated. He's 
yeah. powerful, quiet man performances and a lot of it. And again, that kind of points to De Niro. So yeah, I think that does kind of hit on something a little bit. And I think that's the point where the film really comes alive for me is, um, yeah, when, when he wanders into town, there's that brilliant shot from, so he's like pointing the gun up into the air and it's sort of down from waist sort of height looking up to him. And you, you, it's just sometimes you just watch these films by these great directors and you're just like, yeah, that, that shot there, that is just been used to death. And But the original vision to kind of come up with it in the moment, there's so many moments in it, like, the sort of sand is sweeping up into the air as um, Sanjuro comes back to face them. Yeah. Um, towards the end sort of thing. And the shot of um, the guy hanging on the rope, his friend, and it yeah. sort of pans past him. And then it's like very Western sort of style in terms of pans around this kind of, well, it's, it's the stuff Leone is kind of again ripping off. That's it. It's, it's funny as well, because we are now at that point with our sort of, culture as such i guess where you know we're getting people who are ripping off people who are ripped off leone mm. and then you find out and then you go back again to find out oh leone was just doing what because there's so many moments in in this one in particular where you just go oh that looks like every western film i've watched yeah, for the yeah. last 30 40 years or whatever and you just find out even though this isn't a western it's not but it kind of is in a lot of ways as well I think this is the one that I would say, obviously you've got like Seven Samurai becomes Magnificent Seven and stuff like that. But this is the one that you could just go stylistically. They're two different cultures, two completely different sort of sets of heroes in terms of what they do. But you could play this one right side by side with this Western and not even necessarily the Western that's ripped it off. You know, just other Westerns of that sort of genre, that sort of lonely man walks into town kind of thing. Uh, even prior to Yojimbo being made, you know, you could look at some of the further back reference points that probably Kurosawa was picking up on, but they're so akin to each other. Um, it's just an age-old sort of story, isn't it? It just it just works, and you know, when you've got a master filmmaker like Kurosawa, it's it's going to work. I was going to say it's funny as well because we kind of, I mean, you've you've told me the story before now about like when Kurosawa saw Fistful uh, of Dollars, <laughs> yeah. he says it's a it's a good story. But it's my story, yeah, yeah. And exactly. it's, it's kind of funny that he would bring up that because, like, a couple of the others that I got on the list uh, that, that we were kind of looking at options to go through were like uh, Ran, which you mentioned before, and Throne of Blood was another one. Yeah. Now, Ran is just King Lear, and Throne of Blood mm. is just Macbeth. So yeah, it was clear yeah. that you know Kurosawa was just going well. You know, Shakespeare told the best stories, so I'm just going to take yeah. them and, and make them about feudal Japan and stuff like that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's interesting in a way that he, he kind of would obviously still reverence these other stories as well. What's that saying? It's like there's only ever nine stories or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, there is that. And then there's obviously like every single story that's ever been told can be boiled down into one of three stories pretty much it's like man yeah. versus man man versus nature or man versus himself <laughs> yeah yeah in yeah. a way and you kind of go yeah that okay fair enough definitely but... all the films i love <laughs> yeah yeah um and then so i, I guess we've, we've kind of i think we've touched on so i had i had also got seven, seven samurai down and rashomon along with this they were the kind of the five uh Kurosawa, I, I feel like I could have picked out 
half of his films in a way. Yeah. Um, which is a lot because the man was the man did a lot of films as well. I was going to say, other than Kurosawa, is there any sort of samurai films that you've uh, watched S- along the way that you recommend? So, like I say, you've got um, Kobayashi did Harakiri, yeah. um, which is in there, which we, we kind of touched on as well before. Uh, for anybody who is uh, obsessed in a way, like I am, I don't want to group you in that. I know you're on Letterbox as well, but I don't want to group you in with that. That has <laughs> recently just been reclassified as the number one film on Letterboxd. Has it? So, yeah. Oh, cool. So, yeah. I mean, it's a great film. I have seen that one as well. But then after that, you kind of move into, um, there is a sort of long-running, what you mentioned before about, you know, series of films and stuff. There's a very long-running series of films uh, about Satoichi, I believe it's pronounced, who is the blind samurai, um, which if you've watched, like, there's been almost... You know, hundreds of films that have done that since. Not least of all, uh, John Wick Four, which was like the most recent one, which has Donnie Yen playing like a blind samurai type oh, character. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So again, that's been sort of referenced all over the place. Um, you've got films like Lady Snowblood, which kind of touch into a little bit of more of a that is kind of samurai, but it's also got other. It's got um, Maiko Maiko. KG, I believe it's pronounced. Again, I've only ever seen it written down, so sorry. I've seen that film. It's it's at the end of Kill Bill. Yes, but yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. But she's she's kind of famous for doing like these other kind of dark films a little bit, such as uh, Female Prisoner Scorpion, stuff like that. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, see, this is that kind of world. When you talk about Zaitouchi and... Yeah, they, they, go, they go quite Scorpion, deep then. Yeah. Um, but like, but Snowball is a good example because, like I say, the end of Kill Bill Part 1 is just that, basically. Again, yeah. uh, my man QT just kind of lifts another, <laughs> lifts another thing straight from the Far East. Well, he's Heroes Leone, in a way. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just take all, you know, what Leone's set in motion and just completely rip off films, yeah. So, uh, the, and the only, other, the only other one I kind of got mentioned was... Um, the Lone Wolf and Cub series, which again is uh, what we mentioned before about with the new battles of honor and humanity. They made like six films in about three years for them. Yeah. And that, that is the effectively the sort of start of the story of not necessarily a traditional father figure, but also has to look after a child and the story that they go through on their journey effectively that, you know, you look at the last of us, the game and the TV series or the Mandalorian or I don't know, even, even I guess a little bit like Cormac McCarthy's the road in a way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the film obviously from that, it feels like that's, that, this is where that's come from originally. This is where everything can kind of point back to with that. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Cause that's kind of a, again, it's a almost um, set in stone kind of style of filmmaking now, isn't it? It's sort of, adventure movie with a adult child kind of in tow you know spielberg sort of loves that sort of thing as well yeah it's it's Jurassic that's another Park, one whatever. yeah yeah that's actually a good example as well because you know not 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 father figure effectively looking after the kids and stuff yeah but yeah, yeah. that's that's the uh, that kind of rounds out my my points on and recommendations on samurai films a lot then 
<laughs> yeah, like I say, it, it was a tough one, especially when you consider like the Satoichi recommendation is like thirty films in and of itself. Like you say that's the one where I hear it and I'm like, I've seen some of the films dotted around, and never watched any of them, and I'm like, I don't even know where this starts because <laughs> there's so many films from the same year and stuff like that. As yeah, well. it's, it's tough. Like, it is tough going. You need a little, you need a list, something to to go off there. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, but that that moves us on to our last full category. Um, and which we singled out kaiju films, which is the version of uh, of Toku Satu that we were looking at. Um, so, I mean, don't really need to, to bury the lead on this one. Whenever anybody thinks of kaiju, <laughs> they think of the the man himself, don't they? They think of Godzilla. Um, Indeed. <laughs> so we, we we picked out the original Godzilla um, because I feel like it's a little bit different than. Again, what you think of when you close your eyes and you think of a Godzilla film, you think of two blokes in a rubber suit mashing around, you know, one of them little towns that you get on like seaside villages and stuff and just sort of knocking things over and and eventually they'll have a bit of a scrap, which looks a bit daft. Um, Which, don't get me wrong, the Godzilla films do just devolve into pretty quickly as well. They certainly do. (laughs) Most of the time with some kind of other weird subplot going on with people and aliens and nobody really cares about that they're here for the two blokes in the rubber suit for the to be fair but the first one is very different i found um it very much is there to deal with the fallout pun not intended but the Mm. fallout of the nuclear bombs and all of a sudden the world was facing a different threat that they're just not used to um i think you watched this one a little while ago didn't you yeah, I watched this about a couple of years back and then re-watched it knowing that we were going to sort of touch on it because it was a first-time watch and I hadn't re- returned to it. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, I think this film is genius. Um, I know you're right. I mean, I watched a bunch of them recently and when you said that they descend into two men in rubber suits fighting each other against the backdrop of a crazy story about outer space you know, whatever. Um, yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> By about the third one, we're on to like, you know, crazy plots. But this, the, the genius thing about this is probably not the the filmmaking on a technical level or anything like that. I mean, Ishiro Hondo did, I think, make you start working with Kurosawa. I think he was sort of an underling to Kurosawa in a certain way. I don't know if he was like a second unit director. If, yeah, yeah. He even yeah. had that sort of idea back then. But um so he's he's not like a technical master and he does revisit this series, you know, like quite a lot. And he, he makes some of the more successful versions, but he never makes anything like this, never makes anything in this series as strong as the original. And it's all because of the story and the, like that use of this, you know, King Kong-esque kaiju um, villain, I guess, in this piece. But that to stand in place for the very, very serious observations about the fallout of, you know, atomic and hydrogen bombs and all this sort of experimentation that at that moment in time in Japan must have felt like this is just leading to the end of the world. Yeah. You know, they've, they've lived through it. It's nine years after Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And that, you know, make no bones about it, regardless of what Godzilla has gone on to be. And then the more recent films try and lean back into this a little bit without the same sort of effect. But this is all about that. 
it's not about the monster, you know, burning through the city or anything like that. It's it's just in place for the discussion about the effects of of what they've done here and what it can lead to, and if you continue to do this, and that's where this film resonates. And uh, on top of that, you know, it is kind of ingenious as well in the way that it uses this monster. You know, it does definitely create sort of the touch points that people like Spielberg would go on to sort of, you know, perfect on, I guess, with like Jaws and Jurassic Park and, you know, all of these big monster movies. You know, the way that they sort of introduce the monster, the the sort of build up to it and everything like that, all of that is really effective and really works, even though they don't have the technical know-how in that period of time to pull off you know, these great sort of CGI and practical effect combination things that you've got by 1993. But it doesn't matter because the story's so strong and the direction in terms of how they use the, you know, the big monster in this particular film is just kind of genius, really. Um, yeah, and it's a very powerful film when you when you break it down and think about the actual context of what they're talking about. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm like, like you say, everything from like the um, the way he has that effect of like trying to level the city and the atomic breath that they even give him and stuff like that. He is there as the just biggest slap in the face metaphor you can you can get really. Um, yeah, yeah, and and like you say, it's. I found it really, even like, what, what do I watch it? Like 60, 70 years nearly after it's after it was first made now we're at. So, and it's still really profound. It's still really affecting in that way. Um, which, like you say, it's so far we, we've kind of picked out films and said like, okay, this is maybe even the, the best example, but a lot of the other films do something similar. This is the one that really, I mean, apart from one kind of notable one, which I guess we'll get to in a second, um, they don't really, they don't really do that at all from here on. No, and I mean, I'm using a lot of superlatives tonight because I think all five major films that we're going to discuss, I, I think they are brilliant. You know, you're not going to give me crap to do this exercise with all yourself. Imagine um, if I had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be like, nah, that's it for me. Um, but yeah, the, the reason that this film stands alone from like all the rest is as well, because you've got, it, it is definitely a film of sort of like, you know, the three acts. So you've got the opening where they don't really know what's happening. And that's all of the stuff, the technical stuff and the directorial stuff that, you know, feeds into the likes of Spielberg. And you, even if you just had that, which is better than any of the sequels or anything in this series, just that build up is so ingeniously put together. Then you've got the big show, you know, show piece of him arriving and the destructive power of him and everything like that. I say him, it. Um, and then the third part, which is, you know, probably the heart of the story is when they introduce the oxygen destroyer. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which is again you're like, like a really they're interesting... gonna do it all over again. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the kind of crux of the story, which none of these films, by the time you get to rubber suit men, you know, beating something from outer space, you're like you've you've completely jumped the shark here before George even came along. But the oxygen destroyer and the kind of context behind that and um I'm gonna butcher his name here but um shimura yeah yeah yeah. who's 
Kurosawa's other guy, basically, um, we didn't mention in Yojimbo, but his sort of speech at the end, which is a bit on the nose, you know, the whole, we're destined and doomed to sort of do this again if we're not careful, but it holds resonance because the film's work and you've got the historical context to put it in as well. So, yeah, I think it's a, you know, it, it, it deserves its place in history as one of the important Japanese films of its time, definitely. Yeah, um, that's it. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, we so we kind of we kind of get on to the other. Um, obviously, when when Godzilla comes along in in fifty four, all all the other studios are such a are desperate to try and get their own. So it's worth noting that in Japan there are. Much like the, the kind of is a little bit with America that, that there is the the major studios as such and uh, and the Toho is the 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 Godzilla one effectively that's where you know you get a lot of his uh, his films are from there as well so that he's their um, figurehead as such if you like so then all the other film studios kind of there's, so there's also uh, Toei which is always fun when you toho toei yeah. it's always kind of which hang on which one was this one again uh, but that's the one that kind of does a little bit more of the um sort of the uh, yakuza films and, and things like that are a little bit more from there um oh, okay. you've got shichiku um which uh they did harakiri for example okay and then there's uh one i believe it's called kadokawa um they the, 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 we may have seen one called uh, Dae, which is the, the Kadokawa bought out Dae, I think is how it works. But Dae were uh, the studio f- that came along next, and they created Gamera, which is, oh, okay. and that's kind of the other, so that, that, that was where I was going with this one. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. kind of the other, uh, he's kind of the other big, big monster, which sounds daft, but he's kind of the other big kaiju that, that has his own franchise and has his own series of films and stuff because there were also films such as like Mothra and Rodan, but they were also Toho-owned properties, which then yeah. you can sort of see they have their own film, but eventually they get folded into the Godzilla films or something for him to fight later on kind of thing. And, and it's Honda as well, isn't it? The um, uh, Mothra is, yeah, I believe yeah. so. Um, so he... he got his fingerprints on quite a lot of these from around yeah, there yeah. um and like i say rodan was i think that might have been honda as well i think maybe yeah probably because yeah. these all kind of begin to overlap don't they that's it yeah so uh so they had those and they they kind of mixed in with with uh with godzilla and you know he has which obviously then goes on and on and you get the american films and everything since then but you have you've also got uh gamera like i mentioned and the daimajin i believe it's pronounced which is like a big stone sort of golem type fella like a big stone samurai looking guy you've probably seen that or it's kind of again quite iconic even if you hadn't seen the films you probably recognize the image yeah i think yeah rings a bell but a lot of these kind of get into the like i mentioned about the the rubber suits and it's just none of them have got that same profound effect i think as that first godzilla film until no, no. until we get to uh, Shin Godzilla, which is the most recent live-action Japanese production. Okay. Which, I wondered which one you were going to say. Yeah, so that's the one that's... It's produced 
or directed by Hideki Anno, which uh, is kind of worth knowing because he's the guy who also did Neon Genesis Evangelion that we were on about before. Oh, okay. So that's where he's kind of come to. And Shin means new, which I didn't realize at first. So it's just new Godzilla is what it is. But that one is really deep in the... uh, if, If... if Godzilla originally was the atomic bomb, well, then Shin Godzilla is the power plant explosion, nuclear power plant explosion that happened in, in 2011 in Japan. Yes. And obviously all the imagery that he uses, like the, where the streets are being flooded and everything like that, which is anybody who remembers the news footage from around the time of when the, the plant went, uh, then they know kind of... It's very evocative of that. Because Gareth Edwards version kind of calls on that a little bit as well doesn't it yeah that that follow that was probably it's the power plant isn't it i think that does beat out um shin godzilla by a couple of years maybe but it feels a lot more pronounced in the in the anno version at least anyway um one to definitely check out it's, it's an interesting one that i didn't love the first time i saw it it was a couple of decisions that he makes in there which i think that's my general um relationship with Hadekiano's properties in general this is just like a, a me thing as such because a lot of them seem to get like universal acclaim and, and I just there seem, seems to be something that tends to put me off but yeah I keep coming back to it and I keep thinking I need to watch that again I need to give it another go which perhaps speaks that it's it's a better piece of art than I get initially give it credit for it's understandable for him to be a bit frustrating though because from what I know about like Neon Genesis it's like he went back and reshot it and wasn't happy with it and all that so yeah. he's a bit of a well to... yeah I believe he also has like I want to say like manic depression or something like that which kind of causes mm. his his I feel bad now Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know it's fair <laughs> but like his his products do kind of swing from one side to the other quite quite rapidly in that in that way that his writing kind of goes with his mood i feel like so yeah yeah i mean on, on that um the one thing i haven't seen shin godzilla but i do one thing i appreciate is kind of like the monster design and stuff it might just be all you know sort of uh what's the word i'm looking for you know face value kind of stuff you know it just looks like it you know reminiscent of the original sort of um man in suit monsters kind yeah. of thing but i've always been interested to sort of see a version of godzilla that does sort of lean towards the originals not like the roland emmerich kind of we're just going to put bring this into like the jurassic park era you know and a couple of cool set pieces but kind of completely lose any sort of context or anything like that and i think even the gareth edwards stuff it's it's interesting, but it, it, it kind of works as a film in itself, but it's almost skipping the first Godzilla, you know, all of that sort of heartfelt yeah. context and just sort of aiming towards the franchise idea of we can get King Kong, we can get, you know, destroy all monsters and all that. Whereas Shin Godzilla, at least, you know, on the surface level, does look like it's kind of owing to the original a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, first off, you won't find many people who sort of like the Godzilla films who will ever 
really refer to that Roland Emmerich one. So (laughs) (laughs) that one's out on its own a little bit. But um, it is true. And like like I say, I think this is the, the one that kind of wants to have a sort of message to it as well. It, it's got its own story, its own thing that it wants to do. And that's kind of where this one comes from. And it's funny that you mentioned about the design of the monster because kind of infamously, this one has like, Godzilla has like three stages in this one. It goes through like three different oh, designs. I don't want to, I don't want to ruin it too much. No, no, I, it can't, I guess yeah. visually, but without, you know, for anybody who does want to watch it particularly as well. Um, but yes, it's it's and that's kind of very interesting about how he he the Godzilla himself goes through this transformation and it keeps coming back in waves and stuff like that. But again, a lot of the a lot of the story on this one is is almost like the government's response to it and kind of his take on that is obviously very reminiscent of what his take on the government response to the actual events were and stuff like that. So yeah. Interesting. No, you definitely sold that one to me um, because I watched like five or six of the sequels and I thought I was Godzilla'd out for a while, but I might just skip straight to this one because it does sound interesting. Yeah, easily done, I think, because, you know, it, Godzilla has, the series itself has a, a series of like eras as such, mm. which um, a lot of them come down to... They are named sort of after, like, eras of yeah. the emperor. I think it is weirdly. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. So, like, the first the one is, is Showa era, is right. to do with the reign of Emperor Showa, which ended in 1989, effectively. And then when they pick it up again, they pick oh, up. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, no, that's not important. But effectively, there are like, there's the first sort of era, which is like 18, 19 films, and then there's another sort of era of like rebooted continuity effectively. And then they do it again, which kind of all blows up in sort of the mid 2010s, I think it is, which is then when they come out. So, so far they've got this like newest era effectively, but that's the only uh, live action one so far, which I think there is one coming out maybe this year or next year. Might even be out by the time this episode comes out. I'm not sure. But um, so far it's it's just Shin Godzilla in in this newest era. And the others, are they classed as anime? Yes. So there is also, um, I think there were Netflix films. There was like two or three Netflix films that came out. Um, I, I haven't seen them, so I can't really comment on how good they are, but I think they're all animated. I just like we're crossing the beams here. It's like a Godzilla mashup. We've got anime and we've got our kaiju. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And then Anno comes in with his anime, you know, tracing them back and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't yeah. think he's doing the new one. And I think... It also that the new one is meant to be like another on its own tale that isn't connected to Shin Godzilla as well. Um, it feels like these are just going to go on forever, Godzilla. You know, they'll find a way. Yeah, I think so. I think it's just print, prints money for the Toho company, and they're quite happy yeah. to just to just keep raking it in. So, yeah. Um, no, they're they're interesting. Even the ones that don't work, you know, if you start following the whole sort of franchise, for want of a better word, it's. Uh, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Peaks and troughs, but yeah. And like I say, even you can can sort of have like a sort of campy fun, if you like, with with some of those sequels in the fact that, you know. Oh, definitely, yeah. Two, two blokes. There's one point where like Godzilla gets picked up by his tail and spun around. Like who yeah. doesn't want to see that at the end of exactly. the day? But yes, yeah. uh, that, that kind of then 
the the last section I brought up, um, because this kind of covers a few different things. None of them could really, there was no real like through line in a lot of these, but these were films that I think are worth bringing up when it comes to Japanese cinema. So I just kind of grouped this all under other. So um, before we, we jump into the, the film, because again, these are all kind of a little bit, you know, on their own kind of thing. I wanted to bring up, uh, we've got The Street Fighter, which is a Sonny Chiba film, effectively. It's a martial art film that I don't think there's an awful lot of particularly just Japanese martial arts. I guess it could be kind of like in with Yakuza, but it doesn't really fit in with any of them as such. Um, but yeah. That's interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah, Japanese martial arts isn't really a Yeah, because a lot of thing, these sort of you know, East Asian martial arts films that you would think of tend to be old. Chinese Hong Kong, or Hong Kong, China, yeah. yeah. Um, so Sonny Chiba to me is kind of, he was kind of the heir to the Rafune throne. He is mm. this other kind of out there personality. He's such an animated character. Um, he's always great to watch people again. We'll, we'll bring him up again because people will know him probably most likely from Kill Bill. He plays Hattori Hanzo, the uh, sword master in that. Um, obviously that was... <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, just trying to trying to get him in. Or they will also possibly know him from True Romance. Again, Quentin Tarantino. Because Street Fighter gets... Street Fighter triple bill is what uh, Christian Slater goes to watch in the in the cinema. So yeah, just wanted to bring that one up. Um, another one I was going to mention is the Human Condition trilogy. We mentioned about uh, Kobayashi before. Uh, this is the effectively the story of one man and his tale throughout the second world war effectively and how he was a pacifist but he was kind of dragged into the war at various different stages and points and the positions he was put in and and the consequences he faced for his beliefs effectively they are tough going because they're like three and (laughs) three and a half four hours each and there's three of them um and like you say very deep as well it's it's not very. It's not easy Sunday afternoon watching any of them either. I've had an absolute nightmare with that series as well because I've watched the first one quite a while ago, kind of forgotten it now, and want to watch the second and third, but now I need to watch the th- first one again. Could, so could I've be, turned a nine-hour thing into a twelve-hour thing now. So, could be worse. Yeah. I think I've watched the first two and then never quite got around <laughs> to the third. So I need this is the one time I need one of those YouTube videos to just summarize it. You know. Yeah, yeah. What, what <laughs> did happen? See you yeah. boiled down. <laughs> um, and then uh, the only other one before we get into like the proper last, the last uh, category as such, I wanted to bring up was Battle Royale, mm. which was the one I was referring to before because that is uh, sort of Kinji Fukazaku's last full film. I think. I think he dies before he completes the second one. Um, uh, okay. So you'll let him off then on that one. Yeah, because the second one's rubbish. It's so bad. <laughs> I've never watched it. Never um, seen it. I didn't like it. But the first one I think is genuinely brilliant. And again, Takeshi Katano, or beat Katano, shows up in this. Um, and oh, that, yeah, he does. Yes, he does. He plays <laughs> He plays the the teacher as such, which is... He's f- incredible in that film. Yeah, he's brilliant. And so that's a film about uh, the... Um, school class are effectively sent off onto an island and told they've got to kill each other and then 
obviously cultural touch points on this range from like everything from like the Hunger Games to Fortnite now, which like every kid plays or whatever because <laughs> that's basically the plot of it, really. Um, albeit this one doesn't have every pop culture character under the sun in it, but you know, <laughs> you know, like that game does. But yeah, that was uh, that was the initial kind of touch point for this one and and where that goes on on that one uh we've mentioned qt quite a bit today but he did a rundown of his um 20 favorite films since he started making films so 92 onwards yeah and battle royale was number one it's not that surprising when you think of um the girl in uh, in hmm. Kill Bill as well, who's got the, yeah, the yeah. spike chain ball or whatever, because that's very this character is very reminiscent of her in this film as well. So you can Kill Bill has been a, a strong touch point in this episode, I think. But um, when you think that Battle Royale is what two thousand, yeah, and Battles Without Honor and Humanity Yakuza Papers is seventy three, yeah, something like that, yeah. So that twenty seven years, so kind of you know gap between you know having it and still having it. That's yeah, pretty yeah. impressive. It is really. I can only think of Lumet being even close to that kind sort of, of revolutionising Scorsese, I guess. Cinema at such dis- disparate points, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, the both of them are really. I mean, if anything, Battle Royale is even more significant, isn't it? Kind of now, probably. probably yeah, goes through culture even more. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think great so. film. Um, and that kind of leads us into what we're going to call J horror, um, <laughs> Japanese horror films. There are all manner of different ones. There's, uh, one I'm just going to mention straight off. I'm not sure if you've seen this one called house or Haozu. The seventies. one. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. an incredibly yeah. weird Manic. film. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, uh, bleeding walls and talking painting, talking cats and, and all sorts of weird, shit going on in that one for lack of a better term um definitely yeah yeah something summed up in the um the cover actually the cover's like completely out there isn't it that orange kind of cat oh yeah 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 written through it yeah yeah. um but then kind of moving on to things that people will be a little bit more familiar with you've got like uh, one of the ones i worked to bring up was ringu yeah. Which obviously people may may or not be more familiar with the Ring, which was the Naomi Watts film from sort of the early two thousands. This was the original version of that, which was only like about four or five years before that. Another emblematic of like a lot of uh, sort of films that came out, like The Grudge, is another example of a Japanese film, and then Hollywood just kind of took give it a few years and then took it off. And, and but that yeah. wasn't that's not just limited to Japanese horror. Uh, Hollywood does that pretty much every horror film from all over the world. But um, that again, I just wanted to touch on that one before we kind of launch into the the last film that we were going to talk about, mm-hmm. which is a film called Audition by, again, I said I was going to talk about him later, Takashi Miike. Um, and yeah, this this was one, I think this was the one that you were kind of like most familiar with, I think, before we Definitely, started this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's your recollections of this one? So you're approximately the same sort of age as me, aren't you? So yeah. you might have similar experiences. But I was thinking about this film, um, you know, in kind of context of talking about it, aside from just the plot. I think this might be one of the first kind of extreme horror films I ever saw. Um, because when we were kind of like 12, 13, I vividly remember, and I know I've discussed this with you before, 
like Channel 4 doing like extreme cinema um, month or whatever and Mark Kermode would do a, a sort of introduction to him. He famously ruined the um, <laughs> ending of Ringu. Um, yeah, and he's for, forever apologetic about that. I think you're forgiven now, Mark. But um, yeah, so, and then they did like, you know, Channel 4's 100 Greatest Scary Moments, which is brilliant if you ever get a chance to seek it out. And it's just a rundown of, you know, it, it touches on sort of um, a few kind of really early silent films. And then also it touches on sort of the, the odd um, music video like Aphex Twin or um, even adverts. I was going to say adverts are in there yeah, as well, yeah. which is always a funny one. Yeah, it, it really, really fascinating sort of show. And But the, when you get to the crux of it, you get to like the top 20 like sort of scary horror films of all time. Ringu was five, I think, if I can remember. Okay. Like, that was really high up. I don't know if Audition was in there, but um, it was. I think it was on this extreme month. And I watched it way, 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 way too young. Um, because I think it's the best example of these films. I, I'm a big fan of Ringu um, just because it, it's kind of revolutionary. Um, I'm sure there's films earlier than it that sort of do what it does, but it definitely is the precursor to all of these sort of pale white um, Japanese girl with long <laughs> yeah. black hair, you know, yeah. that kind of very, you know, strong image that you get from these sort of J-horror um, films. But I think what sets Audition apart is, you know, Mika is a bit of a prankster of a filmmaker anyway. Yeah. And fair. he's definitely in on the joke. And you kind of, the reason it, hit so hard the first time you watch it is because you've got such a long run-up. I think it's like 45, 50 minutes before you get to the moment. Before you get anything and, weird at all in it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it's almost like he's going out of his way to make, even at the time, a kind of really outdated romantic comedy kind of thing. Yeah. Like, and you're sitting there going, this is way off. This is like, I mean, he's, he's always a, troublesome kind of guy in terms of some of the subject matter of his films but you're like oh my god he's not trying his hand at romantic comedy here is he because this is terrible like you know the 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 whole kind of idea behind the initial setup of the plot is just like really awkward and then it's like oh no (laughs) no he's not he's well and truly in on it and you're like okay and then of course it's just got some of the most terrifying single moments in any film i think just the use of her smiling yeah at certain points there's a back shot shot of her neck because she was a model i think the the actress i've forgotten her name who plays asami is it asami i think her name is in the in in the film yeah and and she just he just takes a shot from like from bird's eye and you can just see the ridges in her spinal cord and it's just single images like that coupled with everything else that goes on in the film it's just chilling and and that's the sign of a great horror when you've got that kind of visual imagery um coupled with some standout unforgettable kind of moments set pieces in it um it's really really effective i think it's miko's best film i've seen by an absolute mile uh and yeah the best example of that j horror period in the early 2000s and late 90s i would say yeah um Pretty strongly agree with you on that one. I think it's possibly the first first Mike film I came across as well. So yeah. I think if you are like more familiar with the director's sort of back catalogue, then you 
watch that first 45 minutes or so waiting for the other shoe to drop possibly. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't. And so uh, you oh, really? kind of, you, yeah, you, you kind of do settle in. You go, well, okay, I've heard about this film, like in those kind of hushed tones and that kind of thing. But then you you do watch that first 45 minutes to an hour or so, and it kind of does play out like this kind of fairly standard. The the scenes in it where effectively he is auditioning for this, there's this old guy and his wife dies. And then eventually mm-hmm. he decides that he needs to get back out there and start dating again. But in his own way, he wants to audition for a fake part to try and find his ideal girlfriend. Like this, it's it sounds weird, and don't worry, there is a payoff to that. There is, it's, it's <laughs> it, there is a uh, comeuppance for that weirdness. But you have these audition scenes where it's him sat behind a big bench, and the people kind of come in and out, and it flicks between them. And to me, that moment is almost rem- reminiscent of like Full Monty or something like that. Mm. That's it's almost the same setup for me in that moment as like when they're trying to audition for the dancers and in, in Full Monty. And it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not the film I, that you should be perhaps evoking in your mind when you get round to this. Film. I, I was thinking it's kind of a precursor to I don't know if there were these sort of talent shows in Japan. Probably was actually when I come to think of it. But it's a bit like the pop idol kind of thing as well. You know, yeah, definitely. We, we yeah, sat around and like in glee at watching these people just absolutely die on stage kind of thing. Sort of reminiscent of that a bit. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah sorry. Cut you yeah, off, no, man. it's fine. Cause I, all I was going to say then is like, all of a sudden you start to get one or two hints. And then like I say, yeah. when, when that other show, shoe drops, it, it, it drops pretty, the phone call. pretty the, hard. The phone call scene, the first time I won't even mention anything else beyond it, but, when that phone rings and yeah. yeah, that is one of the most chilling singular moments in, in all of horror history, but the film lives up to it as well because these, these great horror iconic moments, they don't work in films that are crap with one great moment. Cause there's plenty of those. The ones that really resonate are the ones where the film itself sort of pays off as well. Like here's Johnny. Yeah. And shining, very much. You know, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't live on if the film itself isn't a masterpiece and, yeah, I think Audition is definitely, it's almost, because I might have watched, when I think about it, I might have watched Ichi the Killer before. Okay. So, because it was like, they, they kind of, I was made aware of them when I was about 12, 13. I certainly didn't watch them at that age. I think it was about 17. And I was still too soon to watch these films because you kind of become accustomed to this sort of extreme cinema the more you watch, you know. Now I feel like I could watch, you know, probably anything like Martyrs and all that sick shit, <laughs> which I don't enjoy, but I could watch it and be like, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. There's nothing I haven't seen now in film. But at that period of time, when you first watch these things and there's this whole new world out there and you do, you're not accustomed to it at all, it just hits harder. I always remember those kind of films and auditions right up there. Yeah. And much better than Ichi the Killer, I think, as well, which I the one I've Definitely Talk prefer about. it as well. Yeah. Each of the killers got its own moments of sort of extremity, if you like. Yeah. Um, Certainly. Has, but it, yeah. it's uh, never quite as shocking, I don't think, as, as I found uh, audition at least anyway. Just doesn't work as well narratively and yeah. that shock moment and stuff like that. It's um, Yeah. Auditions on a land of its own for me. Um, I guess while we're on the, while we're on, Mike as well. It's worth mentioning he did like the one missed call films, which people may have yeah, seen. I've not seen that one. Um, 
but he also does like he did a remake of Harakiri, I believe. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I've I've, I've seen the title. I yeah, don't know how I, close I, that he's is. got so many that I I mean I haven't seen them, but and then he also does like the Ace Attorney video games or the Dead or Alive video games. He's done adaptations yeah. of them as well. But again, he's he's one of the more prolific filmmakers because he sort of went out for like making two films a year for a, a while in there. He he made one film that is more messed up than Audition, which is called Visitor Q. And I can't recommend it because it's one of the sickest films I've ever seen in my life. But yeah, th- so he's he's got form yeah. with that sort of thing. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a... Uh, interesting filmmaker anyway. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that that then kind of rounds up the, I mean, people may be sitting there thinking, oh, their favourite type of film or their favourite film didn't even get a mention, so I'm sorry about that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. We couldn't cover literally the entire of Japanese <laughs> But um, no. I feel like we give it a good go. As an introduction, how do you feel now having watched those? Yeah, definitely, because... Um... I think of all the sort of Asian areas of, of cinema, it was probably uh, the one that I haven't explored much. You know, if you think of Hong Kong and John Wu and Ringo Lam and that kind of stuff, and then um, Korea now with, you know, the Bong Joon-ho and yeah. uh, Park, Park Chan-wook, you know. So, but Japan is so rich with the history, you know, Ozu and Kurosawa and all those kind of guys leading on to that, you know, second wave, which was almost like a new Hollywood yeah, period, like yeah, you yeah. say, uh, where it just explodes and it seems like the possibilities are endless. And then it sort of sustains that into a sort of almost 90s independent thing as well, which was sort of echoed in um, Hollywood as well with, you know, the coming of the likes of Miike, um and uh, Hideo, the guy behind Rink, sorry, his name escapes me but those guys as well coming through and um Takeshi uh Kitano yeah 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 so yeah um I mean we've barely touched the surface there's a whole world out there but yeah you've definitely mentioned a few more as well that I'll um definitely seek out I'm kind of on a bit of a Japan vibe now so it's definitely worked its charm yeah um yeah and probably be logging fair few Japanese films over Letterboxd in the coming weeks. <laughs> well, it sounds like it might have worked anyway, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, yeah I guess like uh, if anybody's uh, anybody's listening along and sort of want to hit hit us up on or hit me up on social media in particular, let me know, you know, which ones you've enjoyed, whether you know, which ones we think we should seek out. Obviously, I'm open to suggestions, whether I ever get around to them because as I've mentioned before, watch list as long as you're on. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'm interested to hear what, what people's thoughts are. On yeah, that. definitely. The weirder and wonderful, the better, is always my uh, my stance. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, again, if anybody hasn't listened to your previous episodes, do you want to give your, your plugs for your social medias? Yeah, I just say uh, Letterboxd is where you can catch me, really. Uh, front row review. Um, probably logging, as I say, a bunch of Japanese films in the coming weeks. Very good. Yeah. Um, and like I say, I'm uh, at Aaron Lewis 33 on X, I guess I'm calling it now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's going to have aged all my other episodes because I've been calling it Twitter for so long. Thank you, Elon. It'll probably be called something else <laughs> next week. By the time this is out, almost certainly. No, he's took his flashing sign down. Yeah. Yeah. Or. <laughs> um, Last Jedi on left on Instagram and Letterboxd to find me on those places as well. Uh, but thanks for coming on, Joe. No worries. Cheers. Been a pleasure as always. 
And uh, until next time, goodbye. Cheers.